Just in the booth, we are ready to start. Good morning, Albuquerque! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> being here. We are spare parts. <laughs> Feel free to sing along, clap your hands, <laughs> tip your servers. Every time you love just a little, take one step closer to solving a Thank you. We are singing songs about liberating love. And sometimes liberating love means knowing when to let it go gracefully. So this next song by the Wayland Jennies is called Begin, and it's about letting go of love gracefully.
just wasn't right to hang on. When are you gonna learn? Think sometimes too instead of turn out. finish off our gathering music with a favorite of this band and we know it's one of Angela's favorites as well. This is a wonderful song by Mike Scott that was covered by the Wayland Jennies and it looks out at liberating love for the whole world. Bring them all in. Bring them all into my heart. From the dark, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all into my heart. Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all into my heart. 
from the caverns Bring him from the heights Bring him from the shadows Stand him in the light Bring him on and bring him on and bring him all in Bring him all in, bring him all into my heart Bring him on, bring him all in Bring him out of Perda. Bring him out of store. Bring him out of hiding. Lay him at my door. Bring him all in, bring him all in, bring him all in, bring him all in, bring him all into my heart. Bring him all in. Bring the unredeemed Bring the lost, the nameless Let them all be seen Bring them out of exile Bring them out of sleep Bring them to the portal Lay them at my feet. Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all into my heart. Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all into my heart. Bring them all in, 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 bring them all in. Bring them all in, 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 bring them Good morning. How about now? There we go. Good morning. Come on in. Bring them all in. We are here to abet creation and to witness it, including gravity. <laughs> to notice each other's beautiful face and complex nature so that creation need not play to an empty house. The words of Annie Dillard. Come. Let us worship together. Join us on our opening song. This is um, an African-American spiritual down by the riverside, but this is a different arrangement, so we're going to teach you a little kind of how to 
get into this different groove. This is by a group called Alabel, and we really love this arrangement. So um, I'm just going to, so I will start the first line, and your response is down by the riverside, and Laura and Vance are going to help you with that. So I'm going to sing, I'm going to lay down my burden down by the riverside, down by the riverside. And then I sing again, I'm going to lay down my sword and shield, and you sing, down by the riverside, down by the riverside. And then we go into, I'm going to study war no more. Study war I'm going to no study war no more. I'm going to study war no more. And don't worry if you don't know the exact notes. If you just kind of listen and put your voice in there, study war no more, you'll be fine. So we're going to do this song now. So just jump in on those down by the riversides, especially. <laughs> one, two, one, two, three, four. I'm going to lay down my burden down by the riverside, down by the riverside. I'm going to lay down my sword and shield Down by the riverside Down by the riverside I'm going to study war no more I'm going to study war no more I'm going to study war no more I'm going to study
Please be seated. Well, good morning. I'm Judy Goring, your worship leader today. Whether you are physical or virtual in the sanctuary, in the social hall or family room, you are all welcome. Our services are multi-generational and they can be a little lively sometimes. Kids are welcome to sit right up in front or anywhere in the sanctuary. We have a playground being occupied right now in front for our smallest congregants and their parents or guardians with a soft rug and a lot of cool toys. There's a children's table in the back with some quiet activities. And for youngsters who could use a little more room, you know, to move around a little bit, uh, we have a family room across the hall uh, with toys there and a live feed of the service. We encourage people to wear masks. Masks are still optional, but COVID and other illnesses are definitely on the rise. We are doing some extra masking and we encourage you to do so too, if you are able. When I went for my annual physical last month, the nurse always asked a series of mental health questions. One of the questions was, are you feeling stressed and anxious? I had to hesitate a moment before answering. I then looked her in the eye and I responded by saying, only when I watch the news. She laughed and said she had some of the same reactions. Today is the first Sunday in 2024. Many of us may feel a little stressed, a little anxious. We are living in anxious times with wars, climate issues, civil rights, and political storm clouds on the horizon, just to mention a few. We may have difficult days ahead of us. We as Unitarians may find ourselves challenged this year by two of our eight principles. The inherent worth and dignity of every person and justice, equality, and compassion in human relations. I invite you to look around for a moment Who's sitting near you, next to you, in front of you, behind you? And for our folks on Zoom, look around in the Zoom and see who's on Zoom with you. And the folks in the sanctuary, look up and give a wave and a smile to our folks on Zoom. This is our community, our house, our church family. It's made of people who care, who love, and support one another. We are one people of many beliefs, many origins, sexualities, and genders. We are all growing, all learning, and all loved. Here in this house, may the storms outside give you peace. Let us be a house of welcome. Everyone is welcome here. That was beautiful. Thank you, Judy. Indeed. Well, let's prepare ourselves for a little meditation and prayer. If you were at the special meditation service on Zoom last weekend on New Year's Eve, 
I led everybody in uh, tending their nests as we got started, just like noticing what's around you. So whether you're in the sanctuary or home or another space right now, I invite you to do that. Just Is there something you can set down or do you need to roll your coat up and put it under your lower back or what do you need right now to really be able to be at ease wherever you are? And let's breathe. I'm going to lay down my burden, we sang earlier. Right now, I invite you to lay down the rest of them. Though, what if it goes wrong? The second-guessing yourself. The worrying about things you can't control. The feeling of helplessness. The burdens that don't serve us, but don't help us. I invite you to breathe, and as you exhale, let them fall from your softening shoulders all the way down. As we enter into some silence together, some relative silence, because we are, after all, a community of humans, I invite you to just notice your breath, check in with your body, just send some love to your whole self, and enjoy this gift of a peaceful moment with others. When you find your mind wandering, just gently bring it back.
Let's lift up some prayers in our community. From my pastoral list, I lift up Judy Riley, who has experienced a decline in health recently. We pray for her strength and good care. I lift up the staff members of the church who are out sick this week, three out of our little staff. That's why we're doing a little extra masking up here today. Just hoping everybody gets good rest and gets well. We celebrate with Brenda Cole, who has been accepted into the Cherry Hill Seminary Spiritual Direction Program, and Sarah Wofford, who's been accepted into the Cherry Hill Seminary Community Ministry Certificate Program. Both of these members have been doing valuable lay ministries here at First Unitarian, and I personally am so thrilled to see them leaning more into their developments in that. Congratulations to them. And in case you missed it last week, we also celebrate with our former intern, Kristen Famula, who has been granted preliminary fellowship as a UU minister last month, and she is now able to take a ministry of her own. I know you have names in your hearts as well, people and places that you're thinking of today. If you wish, I invite you to speak them aloud as the chime rings so that we can hold them with you. Remember that there are also many unspoken prayers among us, always. All of these loved ones and all of these prayers we lift up to the great powers of healing and renewal and celebration known by many names. Holy One, Spirit of Life, Mystery, we call ourselves into your presence because you are nearer than breath. You are the mover, the fire, and the place of rest. Hear our prayers for healing, for all who are sick or hurting this morning, all who are suffering in any way, comfort for all who mourn, for peace in our hearts, in our families, in our cities, in our country and in our world, especially in Israel and Palestine and Ukraine. And for the wisdom and strength and endurance we need to get up each day and to greet this world, the whole of it, the all of it, with all that we are. We give thanks for this fresh morning. We give thanks that we are here to greet a new year. We give thanks for each other and for ancient rituals that link us to our ancestors and to those who will come after us. And we pray that we might increase beauty, goodness, and compassion through the living of our lives. Amen. Peace be with you. This next song by Dishwala was written by J.R. Richards. In 1995, it was um, a pretty big hit, and it's a song about a child's journey into spirituality and discovering what or who God is, and he describes it as being his own inner child as well as 
a 10-year-old neighbor child that he spoke with before he wrote the song. And he got death threats for the lyrics of this song. And as Unitarian Universalists, you'll probably be hard-pressed to figure out, well, you'll know, but you'll, you'll be shaking your heads. <laughs> Shadows stretched out. He walked with purpose in his sneakers down the street. He had many questions as children often do. He said, Tell me all your thoughts on God. Tell me, am I very far? Must have been late afternoon On our way, the sun broke free of the clouds we count only blue cars, skip the cracks in the street and ask many questions as children often do. We said, tell me all your thoughts on God, cause I'd really like to meet her and ask her why we're who we are. Tell me all your thoughts on God Cause I'm on my way to see her So tell me am I very far Am I very far now It's getting cold, picked up the pace. How our shoes make hard noises in this place. Our clothes are stained. We pass many cross-eyed people and ask many questions like children often do tell me all your thoughts on God cause I'd really like to meet her ask her why we're who we are tell me all your thoughts on God 
Cause I'm on my way to meet her So tell me am I very far We're not very far now One night in 2002, when I was 26 years old, I was on my way home from community college when something really unexpected happened, and it was one of those things that changes the course of a life. It was an autumn evening in Oregon, so soggy. Not quite dark yet. There was nobody in the car with me. I was making a left turn, and I heard a voice. The voice said, you're going to be a minister. I said out loud, what? <laughs> but I didn't hear it again. And I didn't need to. I had definitely already heard it. I had never heard a voice before. And this didn't travel through my ears, but my brain definitely registered it as coming from outside of myself. The idea of something like that did not square with my theology at all. I didn't believe in a God that talks to people like that. And if you had asked me back then, I probably would have said something like I was spiritual but not religious. I believed in something, like a spirit of love, I probably would have said, but definitely, certainly not a talking kind of a God out there somewhere. And yet, in spite of my beliefs, I heard a voice, and it only took a few minutes, during which a lot of my life kind of flashed before my eyes to realize that what I had heard, like what the voice had said, sounded right. And that moment became a pivotal point in my spiritual autobiography. It's why I am up here. So this church is not about me. Yes. I lead, but so do many others, lay and ordained. I just named a couple of them, as a matter of fact. And as Judy said, it's our church, it's our community, ours together. It's collaborative, it's often done with a grassroots energy, and I hear about it somewhere along the way of it happening, and I'm excited. We don't have a clergy-centric faith here. I don't issue big theological decrees or enforce doctrines of some kind. And among us, there are many different kinds of spiritual paths and experiences and different beliefs. We love that diversity. What's also true is that one of your ordained leaders, my own spiritual experiences inform my religious leadership. They have an impact on this place. So I've shared my spiritual autobiography from this pulpit a couple of times over the years. Once in 2011, when our Minister Emerita Christine also shared hers. And then again in 2017 with our intern at the time, Dan Lilly. My story hadn't changed much between 2011 and 2017 in terms of that autobiography. But now, there has been a plot twist. Unexpected, but nice. 
A couple of months ago, I shared with you that I am becoming a UU who is also Jewish. How did that happen? And what does that mean for our church? So here it is, Spiritual Autobiography, Part 2. In case you missed it before, the story really begins not in that car, but where I grew up, on Alder Street in Dundee, Oregon. Dundee is beautiful now. It's rolling hills and vineyards. It's famous for wine, and it looks the way I imagine Tuscany looks. When I went back there for my dad's memorial service last year, I couldn't believe that that was the place where I had grown up. Because that's not the part of Dundee I grew up in. Alder Street was a blue-collar neighborhood in the grittiest, grittiest sense. A trailer park. I grew up in an aluminum trailer that had a license plate in the front window. There were some great things about Alder Street. I ran in a pack of happily feral neighborhood kids. We knew the neighborhood intimately, the way that only curious children can, right? Like each backyard and the tromped grass pathways that linked them. We knew the hazelnut orchard to the north. We knew the cracks in the sidewalks, which ones would stop your roller skates and which ones wouldn't. We knew all the tiny critters that inhabited the ditch, the drainage ditch between the trailer park and the orchard, tadpoles, frogs, water skippers, slugs, worms. But there was another side of it too, drug busts, somewhat regularly, violence that we could hear out our windows, spousal and child abuse. There were two churches near our street, both Christian, and one held vacation Bible school. All of the kids in the neighborhood went to it. Great way to get the kids to do something besides pluck slugs and frogs and stuff like that out of a ditch. And since they were all going to it, so did my sister and I, even though my dad was an atheist and my mom wasn't particularly religious. They gave out stickers and candy in exchange for quoting the Bible from memory. And I no longer remember what those particular verses were, but I do remember that my little sister came home crying from it one day because they had told us that people are born evil. She cried and told my mom, they said babies are born evil. The idea of evil babies was really upsetting to her, in addition to contradicting the Bible. And I was only a little kid, but I already knew that definitely was not true. Meanwhile, my mom was working on her high school diploma at the local community college. She struggled with literacy, and reading was still very challenging for her when, by some miracle, she came across a description in a history class of the Unitarian Church of the 1800s, that rebellious Unitarian tradition of that era. And she wondered if that denomination still existed. So she looked it up, and it did. In fact, there was a first Unitarian Church in downtown Portland. So when I was about seven, my sister was about four, my grandmother and my mother started taking us on the 45-minute drive to church. My dad went a few times too, but he was done with it after one of the ministers preached about gun control. I was a pretty good shot by the time I was seven or eight. At the UU church, I learned about the inherent worth and dignity of all people. I learned that people could be together in theological diversity, and in fact, one person could contain theological diversity. That was welcome in the Unitarian Church, people that were like Buddhist UUs or pagan UUs. 
I learned that if you dissect a frog in Sunday school, I guess we had a biology teacher volunteering that week, you won't find the spark of life in it or a soul or anything like that, just frog parts. And that made life seem very interesting and mysterious. And before I left that church as a teenager, I saw a woman minister for the very first time, Marilyn Sewell. I don't remember having any spiritual practices or praying at home when I was a kid or anything like that, except when we got together with our extended family. Our extended family included a variety of fundamentalist and evangelical Christians. One of my aunts, a woman with a loud voice and winged glasses, whose hot pink lips were always praising Jesus, used to send my dad right through the roof, like clockwork, right? And the Christians in my family even fought each other over religious differences, which I found perplexing. To me, the theology of Christ and the cross always seemed like more of a barrier than a doorway to faith. It just did not resonate with me. The UU Church taught me that Jesus' point was love and justice, and that just seemed like enough. When I became a teenager, things changed quite a lot. My parents got divorced. My mom had a breakdown that lasted a long time. On public assistance, we moved into a small, dark apartment in downtown Portland, just blocks away from that church. But I had often felt out of place there among the other kids because of my blue-collar clothes and our inability to do things that cost money. And now that my family was in crisis and we had gotten poorer, it felt like a very lonely place to go. All the other families seemed so normal with houses and parents who were teachers or doctors or things like that. I tried joining a couple of different Christian churches with my friends, and I even went on a mission trip to Mexico with one of them, with their youth group, and I tried accepting Jesus as we sat around a campfire on the way back. I say tried because even though I said the words out loud and I wanted to believe them and to be part of that group, it just wasn't my theology. I prayed, and I did begin experiencing a feeling of someone or some spirit, some love, something kind of keeping, keeping me company in my life. But in the end, I was just too edgy for those conservative Christians. I was too put off by the language of the cross, and I was too Unitarian to think that Jesus was really the one and only way to salvation. So I became churchless. But I did have some big spiritual experiences. One was when I was just 15 years old. I was working as a nursing assistant in a care home. Why they hired a 15-year-old to work as a nursing assistant, I do not know. It was 6.30 on my first day of the, of the job after training, 6.30 in the morning, beginning of my first shift after training. The hallway was bustling. There were laundry carts and trash barrels and medication carts and staff and wheelchairs and lights were going off above doors. I had one hour to get eight people up and ready for breakfast and down to the dining hall, and I was panicking, trying to remember what order to do things in and what were all the things I had to do. And then a nurse stopped me in the hall. Karen was one of the sternest people I had ever met. Her face was etched with frown lines. She asked me something about being okay and helping with George, and I didn't quite catch it, but I wanted to look competent, and I just said, yep, sure, no problem. And a few minutes later, I showed up in George's doorway. Karen was standing by his bed with a wash basin. 
I saw her wringing out a washcloth, getting ready to give him a bath in bed. And that is when I noticed that he was dead. This is why she had asked if I would be okay. I paused to reconsider the question, and then I just started helping her. And I noticed that she was moving really briskly. He can't feel it, she was thinking, so what does it matter? She lifted his arms and she moved him around with efficiency as she got this job done. And I was thinking about how I had heard of near-death experiences, and I was wondering if George was still present somehow, watching us wash him. I wanted to sing to him. I wanted to honor this transition he was making as we did this thing. But I was embarrassed in front of Karen. And so I stayed quiet as I gently washed my side of his body. And later I switched to the night shift so that I could sing without other employees around. Next, when I was 18, I became a mother. I got married, and a few years later, I moved into my own humble but real actual wood house. I made friends with other mothers, and I loved it. It was a very spiritual time for me. Pregnancy, labor, and birth, tending a garden, nursing my babies, participating in blessing ceremonies for pregnant friends. I also kept working as a caregiver just a few hours per week. When I was about five months pregnant with my second child, I found myself standing at the foot of, a bed, of the bed of a woman in her 70s who was also named Angela. She had advanced ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, which meant that she was almost completely paralyzed, but she could still feel her body. To comfort her, I was rubbing her feet. And as I touched them, I could feel the feet of my soon-to-be son kicking inside me. And I felt like a conduit. I just felt like having been raised UU, I, I had this very open idea of what God could mean. I couldn't have articulated it for you still at that time, but I felt like I had experienced it, whatever it was. It made the hair on the back of my neck rise and my head got tingly. There would be two other times that this kind of thing happened to me. They were just a few years later after that. One was the night a good friend of mine had her baby. She lived 50 miles away from me, and she called when her water broke. She was having a home birth, and she wanted me to be there for support. The labor was going fast. I was almost there when her husband and sister called me again, frantically telling me to hurry Please, the midwife wasn't there yet. And I could hear my friend's anxious moans in the background. So I blew a red light. I swooped into her driveway, burst through the door. I raced into the kitchen where she was kneeling in a half-filled portable swimming pool on the kitchen floor. The water was still running. They were not going to, that labor was not going to last until the pool was full. So I jumped in with her, and not 60 seconds later, I caught her slippery new son in my bare hands as he emerged into the world. I stared at my hands for days after that happened, thinking about how they had felt the first edge of a human life, how they had held someone during their first breath. I felt like I had touched something incredibly holy. And just a few weeks later, something else happened 
something that was sad this time. My dad's new wife became suddenly very ill. The doctors informed us that she would die of complications from alcoholism in just a few days. I had no idea. She'd had a very hard life, and she was only 43. I helped my dad arrange for her to leave the hospital and come home, because there was nothing they could do for her there anyway. I was at her bedside, speaking a blessing to her with my hand on her forehead when she took her last breath. The whole room changed. The crown of my head tingled. The hair on the back of my neck rose again. And I stared at my hands some more, just for days after that. Birth, death, blessing. By that point, my kids had led me back to church. Preschoolers, I got to tell you, get ready for this, Ariel. They ask some really intense existential questions. You're going to love it. <laughs> Seriously, I know Ariel. She'll love it. <laughs> I needed some help with those, though, back when I had that happening. And we lived in Salem, so we tried out the small church there. And the members were so nice and so welcoming. I just kept hanging around. I started volunteering, I made coffee, I showed up at rallies. One time I got up and spoke at a service for about 120 seconds and I was so nervous I thought I would die. It took like 10 minutes just to re-regulate my heartbeat when I sat back down. I coordinated the soup kitchen, I joined the pastoral care team, I served on the board and it was starting to get so that I was at church all the time. Those last several years had been happy overall. But I'd always had this low-level, nagging sense of, like, what was it? Like, restlessness, ambition. I could not quite put my finger on it. I started taking classes at the community college. I thought of the painful things I had seen and the beautiful ones. I thought about the way religion had created tension in my family and how very opposite this seemed for the potential for love and connection. I thought of my own yearning for depth and meaning, my love for other people, and my readiness to be challenged and to grow. Maybe I would become a therapist, I thought, like somebody who specializes in spirituality and religion. This is when I heard the voice. You're going to be a minister. A few moments later, when all of these things had kind of flashed before my eyes, I realized how right that idea felt. So I said yes. And I became one. And that is a long story all of its own. But I've been here ever since. There were Buddhist influences along the way, starting with a mentor 20 years ago. I've continued engaging with Buddhism and have woven Buddhist teachings and practices into my work all the time, really, over the years. And life has gone on. In the meantime, my kids are grown. One is married. She tells me there's a decent chance I'll become a grandmother in the next couple of years, which I would love. I got divorced a few years ago, and I've fallen in love again with someone whose Judaism is one of the most beautiful things about her. The first time we experienced a sunrise together, she stood outside and prayed toward the mountains. On Fridays, she chanted blessings, lit candles, and baked challah. 
we studied the Talmud and had deep theological discussions and debates. And when I accompanied her to synagogue, I found myself held, like resting in the rhythm of a religious service I wasn't in charge of for the first time in a very long time. The scriptures were familiar. The Hebrew scriptures have had a big influence in Unitarian Universalism. One of the prayer books was filled with the same poetry I've used here over the years, Mary Oliver and Ross Gay and others. I found it deeply nourishing. My partner and I keep a Jewish home together now with a kosher kitchen and Shabbat rituals. I am a Unitarian Universalist minister with a UU and Jewish life, and soon a Jewish wife. We are engaged. So in a couple of weeks, I will make official what I've already been living into for some time. I will become Jewish. And I will still also be Unitarian Universalist and your minister. How does that work? Someone asked me, doesn't being Jewish mean believing that Judaism is the one right path? Does it contradict Unitarian Universalism? The answer is no, not at all. In fact, we have many members here who also identify as UU and Jewish. Every tradition has its more fundamentalist and more liberal theologies. I am religiously liberal no matter what labels I wear, no matter what form my spiritual practices take. The day somebody asked me that was the day that Bob and I spoke about the war in Israel and Palestine. Some people were upset with me for not calling for an immediate ceasefire that day. I understand. I am also horrified by the number of civilian casualties. It's worse every day. I have been horrified from the start since the first 1,200 people were murdered in Israel. The war has been in our prayers, if not in our sermons, almost every week since then. The thing is, what's going to bring about peace after 75 years of conflict is not opinions, but people seeing each other's humanity. With everybody shouting at each other, this conflict just keeps spreading. People right here in this town, thousands of miles away, are torn apart by it. We in this congregation have partnerships with Jewish and Muslim congregations. I've shared this platform in recent months with a rabbi and an imam. That we've been able to navigate these last few months from a place of love and connection and not reactivity or self-righteousness, keeping both of those partnerships close. That, to me, is a sign that we are doing that humanizing work well. Being with tending humanity, that is the theme of this whole story I've just shared with you. When I was little and I refused to believe that babies could be bad, when I wanted to sing to George, when I held someone during their first breath, when I blessed someone else during their last, when I was there with my soon-to-be son and the Angela who had ALS and I felt both of their feet. And it's been here in my ministry all along and thinking with you about how to live in this world and how to help heal it and how to take care of your spirits in the process. It's in the nitty gritty work that we do side by side so we can keep this place going. It's in your weddings and memorial services and dedicating your children and grandchildren. 
and it's in my sharing this story with you this morning. Authentically and from the heart, in hope that together we can make a tapestry of stories, rich in their humanity and centered in the heart. I am so glad that our stories have woven together. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. There are so many ways to show your love here, whether it's your time volunteering to help in our food pantry program, or helping out in RE, or ushering, or making coffee on Sunday mornings or your talents serving on the many committees and leadership positions here in this church. It's your time, talents, and money that helps make this house one of loving and caring. Our Change for the Future partner this month through February is Casa Q, a caring organization that provides safe living for LGBTQ youth and their allies through housing, services, and advocacy. You may mark a pew envelope, CFF, or place coins in the basket to benefit Casa Q. Margaret Mead wrote, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Let us show our love for this community. We will now gratefully accept the offering. Tori song was co-written by African-American singer-songwriter India Ari, one of my all-time favorite singers, and Israeli Jew Idan Rachel, and it's called Gift of Acceptance, and I think it really fits with what Angela spoke to us about. Some believe it's right to say Jesus when you pray. Some believe in Muhammad, Allah, or Buddha the way. Instead of God or a pantheon of gods up in the sky, I'll honor your choices and you can honor mine. Whether you are red, black, yellow, brown, or white A man with a husband or a woman with a wife We can debate to the end of time who's wrong and who is right Or I can honor your choices and you can honor mine We are one the same, things run Can we give up? I need to be right. Give the world a present, give the gift of your acceptance. 
give the world a present gift, the gift of your acceptance. Some believe that God's a him and some say he's a her. Does God live here in our hearts or out in the universe? Luther, king, a Christian, regardless of religion, they knew love was the mission. We all want the same things from life. We want peace, love, and prosperity. But can we give up? I need to be right. The present gift, the gift of your acceptance. Give the world a present gift, the gift of your acceptance. We can debate till the end of time who's wrong and who is right, or I can honor your choice. And you can honor mine. We all want the same things from life. We want peace, love, and prosperity. But can we keep up? I need to be right. Give the world the praise. The gift of your acceptance. Give the world a present. Give the gift of your acceptance. Thank you. I think we can come up here a little further, Judy. There we go. Thank you, everybody, for your generosity on Zoom and here in the sanctuary. Thank you on behalf of Casa Q and our congregation. If you're wondering where everybody else is this morning, you who are in this physical room, there's a, over 107 people on Zoom right now. Those are just the, the visible people, and there could be some more, you know, who are, don't come on camera because they haven't brushed their hair yet. So uh, that, that's where our group is, I think. Welcome all, however you're attending we have a couple of invitations to share. First, I want to um, bring something to your attention. It's that in the next few days, you're going to get uh, an invitation to our annual congregational meeting. It happens on the last Sunday of this month. And with it is a budget for 2024 um, that we've put into this packet that you'll get probably electronically. I got to tell you that I do not like this budget. And I really don't think you're going to like it either. For one thing, main thing, it shows a big deficit. Uh, it shows a deficit of over $100,000. There are two reasons for that. One is that in 2023, uh, a higher than, number, higher than usual number of folks who made pledges for 2023 didn't pay them all the way. 
we always know that some things are going to happen. You know, life changes. Sometimes people can't come through, and that's okay. We always budget for a few percent, like 3%, to not come in. But in 2023, it was 6%. So that made an impact last year that it, we have to carry that deficit over this year into the budget, and it creates a deficit now. The other reason is that we have heard from, we have about 360 pledges for 2024. First of all, that's fantastic. Thank you so much to everybody who pledged. But last year, we had about 430, which means we're missing something like 70 pledges, just people we haven't heard from. I have a feeling that many of those folks may think they've made a pledge, but we didn't record it or receive it. So if you did not, if you think you've made a pledge, but you didn't receive a confirmation email and a thank you card, we hope you'll call and check in about it. It might be that we don't know about it. And we hope to hear from some more folks about that. And if you haven't been able to make a pledge yet, as you can see, it will still make a big difference to do so. So I'm hoping that this time between now and the annual meeting, we get some more information and some more pledges in that help us close that deficit so we can vote on something we can be excited about. Okay, here's something else that we can definitely be very excited about. This is the first Sunday in First Unitarian's 75th birthday year. 75, yes. <laughs> that is excellent. <laughs> Thanks, Susan. <laughs> We're going to have so much fun celebrating that this year. Um, right now, there's a little task force forming to plan parties, basically. Uh, and if that is of interest to you, planning parties and other ways to mark this big year, we would love your participation on it. Um, as little or as much participation as you can give, um, come talk to me after the service or email me if you're on Zoom, and I'll tell you more about that. All right, Judy, your turn. Did you know that advocacy for a state bank began here at First Unitarian? You are invited to join the Social Justice Council today at 1230 in the Memorial Hall for a presentation by Angela Merkett about a state public bank and why it's good for New Mexico. Legislation will be introduced in the 2024 session. That's exciting. Uh, you're also invited to check out the new exhibit uh, by the arts and aesthetics team in our social hall. It's an art exhibit, some member art and some member, uh, some art from local African-American artists. And they also have a little sale going um, of beautiful things. Uh, so check that out during coffee hour, which we hope you'll stay for. Oh, you're going to like this invitation. Who doesn't like breakfast? <laughs> Join first you for the uh, MLK March and breakfast this Saturday. We voted to affirm the eighth principle last January, and it's time again to put our beliefs into action. Start the day with a Social Justice Council pancake breakfast at 8 a.m. in the Memorial Hall. Carpools will leave at 9.30 a.m. for First U to join the march from the UNM to Civic Plaza. Please see the announcement in your order of service to RSVP. All right, so whether you're staying for coffee hour and uh, visiting one of our chat tables or talking informally here or elsewhere, you might like a discussion question. So here's one to get things rolling. If you were going to tell your own spiritual autobiography, what would be something in it? A chapter or a snapshot, something in your spiritual autobiography that seems important to you. I invite you to share those, see where those conversations lead. 
I invite everybody to rise and body your spirit or put your uh, screen in gallery view on Zoom and let's uh, share a peace gesture with each other as our tradition here. We put one hand over our hearts, either one is fine, and we just reach the other one out toward each other in a gesture of peace. It is beautiful to be together. And while you're up, I invite you to grab that turquoise hymnal and open to number 1004, Busca el amor, Busca el amor en ti se multiplica si lo repartís. Seek out the love in you. It only grows when shared. Find the joy that comes to those who care. And you may just want to jump in on the chorus. The verse has a lot of Spanish syllables in there. I'm going to do my best. Um, and you can sing in English if you want on the chorus. We'll sing Spanish, you sing English, whatever works for you best. Busca el amor. And before we start this song, I just want to give a shout out to Raymond Wolfgang and um, Jules Wilson back in the booth who have made this service possible. Thank you so much. <laughs>
in peace, friends, and may love bless you and keep you until we're gathered again. Blessed be.